بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول کریم الحمد للہ They finally decided to punish the two clans, the Banu Hashim and Banu Abdul Muttalib, for refusing to remove their protection on the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So what's up? It's the seventh year of Nabuwat in Makkah and Islam is obviously getting slowly but surely stronger. But the reason the unbelievers couldn't get to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was because his tribe were protecting him. His tribe was Banu Hashim and Banu Abdul Muttalib. So the unbelievers said to the tribes, even though they were Muslims, if you don't remove your protection from Muhammad we will boycott you. They said we will not relinquish our protection. They decided therefore to punish these clans by imposing a complete boycott against them. No sale, no trade, no marriage, no dealing whatsoever with members of these clans. So this was the boycott. So basically like you do in today's day and age, like you get on state level, you get sanctions where people can't buy anything or sell anything, etc, etc. So this is what happened to the two tribes. They couldn't even get married, even in social gatherings, as they say. To finalize the boycott, its terms as formulated and agreed to by the leaders and various other tribes of the Quraysh, it was written on a document and fixed on the wall of the Qa'b. So the unholy document was signed and sealed, as they say, but it was put onto the Qa'b as if to give it like sanction. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the believers and members of the two outcast clans were thus forced to withdraw to the valley of Abu Talib, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu paternal uncle and guardian. So this was like a mile or so away from Makkah, maybe a mile and a half. Now you get the famous graveyard there. But that's where they went. And they were basically ostracized there. So who were the ones boycotted? It was the Banu Hashim and Banu Abdul Muttalib. So now what's very important to highlight, Khadija radiyallahu, she wasn't from these two tribes. She was from Banu Asad. So she did not have to go into this enforced boycott. But she voluntarily went with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa so this shows her intense love for the Prophet She gave up all the comforts and she went even though she didn't need to. 
and nobody would have found fault with that, you know, because it was this immense, you know, test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Khatija went voluntarily. Subhanallah, the siege was thus severe. It was a mighty test for the believers. They suffered great hunger and deprivation. Weeks followed days. Months followed weeks. And years followed the months. And still there was no end to the boycott in sight. So now what's interesting, there was a mixed batch who were boycotted. There were the believers and there were the unbelievers. But this is how strong the tribal affiliations were. They weren't going to hand the Prophet over. So even unbelievers suffered the boycott from these two tribes. And you would have expected it not to last too long. But it went on for years. Think about that, years. Subhanallah. Sayyidah Khatija together with the other blessed companions who had stayed with Rasulullah in this most critical time. They were only too happy and most content to be in his august company. Despite the fact that many were now rapidly losing their health and were on the point of starvation. So what's strange? The company of the Prophet was the most important thing to the companions. So Think about this. This proves it. They wanted to be with him, even in this most critical time. So now, this is also important to highlight. Some of the senior companions did not go into the boycott. Abu Bakr Siddiq did not go in, nor did Umar. So again, this is, you know, when you, you, know, you have to explain this. Somebody goes, why didn't the two sheikhs enter the boycott? And the response was, they were probably thinking, we are better off outside, helping from outside. If they went into the boycott, how were they going to help in terms of, you know, food, sustenance, etc., etc. So those who were on the outside, the believers, they obviously did that for a reason. And Abu Bakr and Umar were not in the boycott. So how severe was this test? So there's a very interesting report which explains how serious the test was. The hadith is in Tirmidhi, number 2480, Hassan Sahih. Ibn Majah, number 151. Ahmed in his Musnad, number 14057. Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya, number 324. Ibn Kathir Sira, volume 1, page 342 of the English translation. And Shaykh al-Bani, rahmatullah, stated authentic. Sayyidina Anas, radiyallahu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa لَقَدْ أُخِفْتُ فِي اللَّهِ وَمَا يَخَافُ أَحَدًا I was threatened or put to fear in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as no one was ever threatened or put to fear. وَلَقَدْ أُوذِيتُ فِي اللَّهِ وَلَمْ يُؤْذَ أَحَدًا And I was troubled or tortured in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as no one was troubled or tortured. وَلَقَدْ أَتَتْ عَلَيَّ ثَلَاثُونَ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَوْمِ وَلَيْلَةِ They came upon me, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, 30 days and nights, I am month. وَمَا لِي وَلِبِّلَالٍ طَعَامًا يَأْكُلُهُ ذُو قَبَدٍ When Bilal and I had no food, which those with the liver could eat, 
اِلَّا شَيْئِ يُوَالِيهِ اِبْتُ بِلَالْ Except which was kept under Bilal's armpit. So let's look at this. So this is an authentic hadith in Tirmidhi. So the Prophet said things which is very hard to comprehend because we don't know what they went through. Then Allah said, He goes, I was put to fear or threatened in the path of Allah as no one was ever threatened or put to fear. Now think about that. When you hear about the hardships of, for example, Ayyub alayhi salatu was 18 years he was ill. He didn't go through as much as Rasulullah. The Prophet testified to that, sallallahu alayhi wa You think of the troubles that Musa went through. He didn't go through more than Rasulullah. So the Prophet was explaining this. Why? Because the Prophet said, a person is tested according to his religious commitment. If his iman is strong, he is tested accordingly. If it is weak, accordingly. In Imam Ahmad's Musnad, so the most the one with the most firmest iman was Rasulullah so he was tested severely then he said I was annoyed troubled or tortured in the path of Allah as as no one was annoyed troubled or tortured then he mentioned one month now look how interesting why didn't he mention the entire time so the first thing to point out is was he talking about the boycott so some scholars say maybe he wasn't talking about the boycott because there's no mention of it. But many of the scholars say it was the boycott he was referring to. Why? Because they were struggling even to eat. So he mentioned 30 days and nights. Now think about that. He didn't even mention the entire period of three years. It took a month. And then he said within that month, myself and Bilal had no food which those with the liver could eat. Now, why did he mention that wording? Because what he was saying was, the food we ate wasn't fit for human consumption. So for instance, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, who was, he mentioned that, he goes, I was that hungry, that I saw some leather. And he says, basically, he goes, I crumbled it, made it into some sort of powder, and I mixed it with some water so I could get some strength. So think about how desperate you must be to get worn out all leather and crumbling it to make it into a powder. Another uh, relation mentions that he got some leaves of the tree and he goes, they made our mouths get ulcers because the, the leaves aren't fit for human consumption. So, this, so what does that prove? It was severe. This siege was severe. Or this boycott. And look how interesting. Rasulullah could have mentioned any companion, but he mentioned Bilal. Why did he mention Bilal? Because Bilal didn't need to go into the boycott. But he followed the Prophet out of love, because he was obviously his servant. And then he says, except what Bilal kept under his armpit. So if you take it literally, it means a handful of something. Bilal managed to get within a month and they had to share it out. Or it could be a figure of speech, meaning very little we had to eat. So what does that indicate? It was a very severe boycott. Some sympathizers were able to smuggle some flour and other necessities to the besieged party every now and again. And thus they were able to survive in spite of their suffering. By the grace and mercy of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So who were the sympathizers? 
So obviously the companions, they tried to get food across Abu Bakr, Umar, but sometimes they were intercepted and they weren't allowed to go any further. And there was also unbelievers. There was Khatija's nephew, Hakim ibn Hizam. He was also trying to smuggle food. And once his, his batch was intercepted by Abu Jahl, and Abu Jahl was knowing where on earth his food was going to reach Muhammad. And the, another person got involved because why are you getting involved? Because he's trying to give food to his aunt, i.e., Khatija. And why did he mention that? Because Khatija wasn't part of the contract. Well, Abu Jahl goes, no, the food isn't going to get to anybody with Muhammad So even those who were trying to get food, they didn't manage to succeed on most occasions. That's why they would go under the cover of night. And with that little that would get through, that also helped to keep them alive. Three long years went by. More than 1,000 days of unimaginable hardships. And subhanallah, none of the besieged company gave up to the tyranny of the unbelievers. So why is this important to highlight? Because people with weaker faith, what do they keep blurting out? Where is the help of Allah? <laughs> you know, little test comes, where's Allah's help? So did any of the companions make that statement? Imagine they were with Rasulullah, you can't get any more anybody more pious. They were oppressed. And we know how quickly Allah answers the wah when you're oppressed. So after the day they thought, okay, maybe a week Allah's help is gonna come. A week passes, maybe a month, month passes, year. Nothing's happening apparently. Over a thousand days. And how strong was their faith? None of them left Islam. Our beloved mother Sayyidah Khatija Radiallah who had been brought up in luxury in her wealthy father's dwelling, now faced the economic hardships with undaunted patience and courage. Mm. So now, there's a note here. It is worth mentioning that the blessed dwelling of Sayyidah Khatija that she'd left, after Rasulullah migrated to Medina, was first occupied by the brother of Sayyidina Ali, Ayy Aqil mm. Later Muawiyah ibn Abu Sufyan purchased this dwelling. He built a masjid on his land, thus honoring this most blessed dwelling place by making it a place of prayer and worship for all time. So the dwelling of Khatija was honored. They never forgot what Khatija did and they considered it an honor. <laughs> And Hazrat Muawiyah joining his Khilafat, he bought it and he made it into a masjid. Now what's strange about that? It's, next, it's quite close to the Kaaba. <laughs> so what's the point of another masjid? And the response is, it's symbolic because the whole haram is obviously sacred. So people go in there and pray. And hopefully that would obviously reach Sayyidah Khatija as well. So Khatija, now how old was she? So if you say that she got married, to the Prophet when she was uh, 40 and the Prophet was 25 so at the age of 55 Rasulullah has proclaimed the message so she's 62 when the you know the boycott started 62 but if you say he was 28 when she married the Prophet then you take 12 years off that 
So you're talking, uh, you know, early 50s. Well, whatever the case, because of the great hardships, her health suffered. And this is very important to highlight. Not only were the elders naturally suffering, Abu Talib, obviously, he also greatly suffered. He was a, a very aged man at the time. The youngsters suffered. So to mention one honorable example was Sayyida Fatima. Sayyida Fatima entered the boycott and she was, a, she was still a girl. She, she wasn't mature. She became Balik during the boycott. So what stress must that have put onto the, her blessed body? And she never recovered from it. How do we know she never recovered from that boycott? Because later on, three years after the boycott, when she migrated with, the, with her father, when she married Ali, she was struggling even to do the household chores. This is in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim. So she asked Ali, he goes, go and ask Rasulullah for a servant. He goes, some prisoners of war have come. So Ali told Fatima, it's better if you go. So Fatima went, and Rasulullah saw her, Salam was exchanged. She just lowered her head, she couldn't ask. And then she just returned. So then Ali goes, did you ask? She goes, I couldn't ask. So Ali goes, let's both go. So then they both went, and then they respectfully asked for a servant. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, how can I give to you a servant when the Ashab suf are suffering so much, i.e. the companions in the masjid? And then he goes, I have to give to them. So this whole report, What's strange about it? Why is Fatima asking for a servant? There's no explanation in the hadith in Bukhari Sharif. She's in the prime of her youth. The response is the boycott. It severely affected her. And also she died young. There's another reason why you know, her death came from the grief of losing her father. So this is the impact of the boycott. You can see from the various individuals. The siege proved ineffective. The iman of these blessed individuals can be gauged from the fact that none of them, despite the incredible hardships, turned away from the glorious faith. Indeed, they came out of the ordeal stronger and purer than before. Allahu Akbar, think about that. They were stronger. You think the command, they're going to be weaker, they got stronger. Subhanallah, after being tested for three long and grueling years, we have the following reports. Now, these reports all suffer from weakness. So it's important to highlight that. It mentions that Allah, the Almighty and Glorious, subhanahu wa ta'ala, He sent revelation to His beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the valley, stating that termites had eaten away the unholy document in the holy Kaaba, with only the name of Allah, the Almighty, remaining intact. So don't forget, they had written that document, sealed and signed inside the Kaaba. So Allah the Almighty revealed to His beloved that it's been eaten away except my name. Abu Talib, even though he wasn't a Muslim, had so much confidence in his nephew, that he immediately went to the Quraysh to inform them of the subsequent events. It is related in Ibn Hisham in his Sirah 2-19 with a Da'if chain. That when they looked at the document, they found that the termites had indeed eaten off the whole of it, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name. 
So this is one depot. It's a weak depot, but it's mentioned in the books of history. So it came true. But in another depot, in Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, in Sida 2-19, Musa Ibn Uqba, Fattul Bari 15-38, again with a weak chain, the opposite is mentioned. Namely, the termites had eaten off Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name at every point in the document. Thus what remained was a reminder of their oppression and wrongdoing. So there's the contradiction. You can't reconcile. <laughs> did the termites eat everything except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name? Or did they eat respectfully the name of Allah in the document and left the oppression? So obviously they both can't be correct. But does it make any difference? No. The Prophet, was he received revelation and the document was a sign that look, Allah was showing his displeasure. The substance of both reports is namely this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name cannot be associated with oppression and wrongdoing. So you can say that safely. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name cannot be associated with oppression and wrongdoing. The document was terminated and Rasulullah and his companions were permitted to leave the valley and return once more to Makkah. So now you would expect what? The unbelievers to become Muslims. They had a golden opportunity to experience a striking miracle of Rasulullah. Endless. But to their miserable lot, they persisted and clung on to their unbelief. So what does the Quran mention? In Surah Al-Qamar, Surah 54, verse 2, Allah the Almighty and Glorious says, O the Allah, may Shaddan regime, but if they see a sign, they turn away and they say, this is nothing but clear witchcraft. <laughs> so what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? When they see a sign, they turn away in arrogance because this is just witchcraft, magic. Mm. Subhanallah, during the long drawn out boycott, Sayyida Khatija's health now began to suffer considerably. Now in her 60s, but certainly in her 50s, depending upon which report you take, she had given her all for the cause, financially, physically and spiritually. On their return to Makkah, Sayyida Khatija thus fell seriously ill. So now, just to add this before moving on from the boycott, there's actually a report which mentions that Abu Talib, when the unbelievers saw Abu Talib, they thought that they finally broke him. <laughs> because look, you know, he can't take any more. And Abu Talib said, if what my nephew says is not true, then I hand him over to you. <laughs> but if what he has said proves to be true, then you will terminate the unholy boycott. Mm. So they actually thought he's lost the plot. <laughs> Why? Because when a person hasn't, he's an elderly man and he hasn't ate a decent meal for over three years, they actually thought he's lost it. So they thought golden opportunity. They go, hey, of course, of course. Mm. So when they entered the Kaaba, now what's strange about that? Abu Talib's not a Muslim. 
So if Abu Talib is not a Muslim, why is he acting as if he's got absolute belief in the Prophet? You know, would you go that far? He had that much trust in the Prophet And then when they entered, to their shock, just like he mentioned. And when they saw it, they just walked out, witchcraft. Right? So note, Allah Ta'ala intervened to get rid of this. So note again, they were turning away, but really they weren't, like the Quran says, they weren't rejecting Rasulullah. They believed him. They were rejecting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala says that in the Quran. It is not you that they deny. It is I. They're challenging me. So Lord, this was again another very important part of the seerah in terms of tests and tribulations. Now why is this important to highlight? Because the Ansar radiyallahu ta'ala were not even on the scene yet. You understand? Right? The Ansar came three years after the boycott. So all of this was experienced by the Muhajirun. And that's why the Ansar cannot match the Muhajirun because of the hardships they went through in those early years. But having said that, the Ansar also have a tremendous maqam because most of the Badris were from the Ansar. So the report mentions when they came back to Makkah, Khadija naturally became very ill. And what's interesting, why didn't she fall ill during the boycott? Why is it she fell ill when she returned? So some of the scholars point out is because she was wounded about the Prophet So she was actually ill during the boycott, but she was putting on a brave face. But when she realized that this test has passed and Rasulullah can return, then obviously you get the impression that now she was showing how ill she was. So the family of the Prophet was suffering immensely over this. And how difficult must that have been for the Prophet seeing his wife, Radiya Lanka, go through all these hardships, mm. giving up everything for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're just narrating. Mm. But really, can you put yourself in the blessed shoes of Rasulullah? Mm. So these are the sacrifices that these elite souls gave for the glorious deed, you know, subhanAllah. Mm. So all I mentioned today was the inhumane boycott. There's also something else I'll mention very briefly. Some of the unbelievers, they got together and they go, we've had enough of this boycott. <laughs> We're going to sabotage it. So what they actually did, some of the good ones amongst them, kind-hearted ones, they said, look, this is the plan. We will cause a stir. One of us will say, we weren't happy with this document in the beginning. And when Abu Jal reacts, Another one of you will jump in and say, oh, we weren't happy with it either. And when he reacts to you, then the other, you can jump in. So they just this was their plan. As if it was like on the spur of the moment. So what happened? The next day, they got together in Makkah, uh, around the Kaaba. And he goes, this is disgraceful. He goes, we're boycotting our own family. They're suffering. You can hear the children cry. Because we're not happy with this. So one of the men got up and said that. So Abu Jal goes, never. He goes, we're sticking to it. Then the other one gets up. He goes, we're not happy with it either. And so Abu Jal turns and he responds to him. Then a third one says the same. And Abu Jal, giving him some credit, he works out what happened. He goes, this is a plot. He goes, this has been hatched before. Then one of them goes, we don't care if you think it's a plot. We're not happy with it. This took place 
around the same time when Allah Ta'ala revealed to the Prophet that the boycott, I mean the contract has been eaten by termites. So there was good ones amongst them. They couldn't tolerate it. There was a point they thought, look, we can't take it anymore. So that's also important to highlight. And how did the Prophet honor those unbelievers? One of them, he suddenly died without Iman. He passed away. He was a righteous man amongst the unbelievers. And when the Prophet won the battle of Badr, there were 70 prisoners of war. And he said, if so-and-so had been alive, meaning the one who had helped me with regards to the boycott and other matters, I would have freed all of these souls for his sake. So Rasulullah actually remembered his kindness. He said, I would have freed them all for his sake because he's passed away. And that same soul, I think his name was Abu al-Bakhtari. The same soul, he was the one who protected the Prophet after he came back from Taif. Remember when they rejected? And Rasulullah now had no protection. He couldn't enter Makkah because there was no one protected. So he sent Zayd ibn al-Haritha to ask people who will, you know, who will offer their protection to me. And that same soul, Abu al-Bakhtari, he goes, I will protect him. <laughs> Tell him to come. So when the Prophet entered, Abu al-Bakhtari told his sons, God, Muhammad, when he's doing his tawaf. So Abu Safyan saw it, or Abu Jahl, and he goes, have you given him protection or have you become a follower? And he goes, no, I'm just giving protection. And he goes, we will honor your protection. So no, there was good souls amongst them. But unfortunately, he didn't die with Iman. So notice how interesting Allah Ta'ala gives hidayat to certain individuals. And others, you'd expect them to have hidayat and they didn't receive it. Hidayat lies in the hands of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are there any questions you'd like to ask?